Hello and welcome to the Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype, right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today, we're looking to Germany, ahead of its federal elections on the 26th of September. Historically, Germany's elections have not been a major concern for investors, as the electoral system favours stability and evolution. While this will remain the case, the balance of political power in German politics is shifting. A surge in support for the Greens has started to reverse, but it remains high in absolute terms, suggesting that they will likely form part of the next coalition government. As well as the domestic scene, we'll also be looking today at the bigger picture, as Europe's largest economy, political shifts in Germany are likely to impact the whole Eurozone. While the recent publication of party manifestos is instructive in communicating each party's position on most issues, it is important to remember that manifesto pledges do not always translate into action. To form a government will require parties to compromise, which means that previously entrenched positions can be watered down. In a moment, we'll hear from one of the co-authors of the latest in a series of UBS Global Wealth Management CIO reports that previews next month's general election. But we start with an overview from Monocle's own news editor, Chris Chermack, himself no stranger to German politics and economics as a former correspondent based in the country. Chris Chermack, you have spent lots of time you know, living and working in Germany, but obviously following its politics and its economics very closely. As the 2021 federal elections hove into view towards the end of next month, what are the key, you know, talking points? If we look at what is going to define this general election, for the sort of lay listener, before we dig a bit deeper into sort of the economic picture, what are the big sort of political questions that we're looking to get answered? Well, the big political question really evolves around this idea of stability, I would say, right? We are now entering an election which for the first time in 16 years will not have Angela Merkel as the head of a political party, you know, looking looking to become chancellor again. She is retiring. She has always been this mantle of stability herself as well, right? You know, for the last 16 years, the person that, you know, in that sense, politically and economically speaking, has been the steady pair of hands at the top, the very competent leader that everyone knows we can rely on to keep Europe from falling apart, to keep Germany from falling apart. She's been through multiple crises over the last 16 years of her term, and she's always found a way through them. And that's what she always gets praised for, you know, this determination, but also this ability to negotiate compromises. So looking forward to this election, the key really is who among the candidates to replace her exudes that same confidence and can really show that they will be the person who can take the lead, who can be a chancellor candidate. And that's that's where there's a lot of uncertainty, to be fair, right now, because there's been a lot of movement within the parties. None of the other candidates, if you will, uh, are that popular necessarily, particularly Angela Merkel's successor, Amin Laschet, is not that popular. He hasn't really had that, you know, he, he hasn't really shown that he is a strong leader in the vein of Angela Merkel, although in his policies, he's very much gone in the same kind of direction as her. And then you have unknowns like an Annalena Baerbock, who is the, the chancellor candidate for the Greens. They're looking to be potentially even the second strongest party in Germany, which is quite a strong shift compared to the past. They're looking to double their vote total, maybe even more 
compared to 2017. So a lot of the questions are about them. What are they going to bring if they potentially enter into a government for the first time since the early 2000s? And then finally, you have the Social Democrats and Olaf Scholz. He is the German finance minister. He is a reliable pair of hands. So he, in some ways, is the closest to Angela Merkel and this theme of stability, if you will. Everybody knows him. Everybody likes him. He's quite boring <laughs> in his style, but, you know, boring, reliable. And that's, and that's kind of the theme this time. So the Social Democrats are not doing well as a party, but they're really relying on him to really revive their fortunes, if you will, and maybe give them more of a bump in the polls than they expect. Uh, and it's interesting, Chris, you start off by talking about stability. And of course, the, the whole system politically in Germany is not rigged, but it's rigged to deliver exactly that kind of stability, gradual political evolution, not see changes or swinging differences. But just to draw down a bit more into what you were saying about the rise of the Greens, we know some of their gains have, have eased a little in recent weeks and months. But is there a sense, you know, you're a seasoned watcher, as I began by saying, that this sort of broader balance of political power in Germany is shifting, if not inexorably. It is a marked shift, isn't it? Well, it, it is a market shift. I think when, when I was uh, reporting from Germany, say back in 2017 and also earlier, 2015, 2016, for example, the other way to look at it is the shift at that time or the, the concerns if also for the shift was towards the far right. All the talk was, for example, the alternative for Germany and just how much they would get. They ended up getting about 12% of the vote in the last election, which was very significant. They basically then have been because then also you had the Christian Democrats in a coalition with the Social Democrats for the last four years, they were actually the third largest, the opposition party, which was quite a shift for Germany. So that also created a lot of concerns. And as you say, this time there's been this sea change, if you will, because it's the Greens that are the story. If there are people who are looking to not vote for Angela Merkel again, not vote for the Social Democrats who have been in government with the Christian Democrats for the last four years... Many are looking more towards the Greens. So because climate change, of course, has been the issue that has really been in the public consciousness over the last couple of years. So they're gaining from that. And certain other smaller parties, the Free Democrats, are gaining again in, in popularity in part because of the pandemic. So in one way, you could also say this is an election about competence. And that's also why, say, the alternative for Germany and the far right has struggled. They didn't really have a clear line during the pandemic, for example. And just one final point to your question of stability and why this, this sort of stays throughout with Germany. Of course, compared to other places, you know, this is a parliamentary system which is very used to having coalitions, right? So even now, we've had a coalition of the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats. So even if the Greens are to say, you know, gain, come in the ascendance and, and double their vote total, they are going to have to be in a coalition with another party, potentially the Christian Democrats or maybe the Social Democrats with another party. It's a little bit open. So one of the key questions will be, what kind of coalition are we going to see going forward? And that will be also interesting after the election. We're going to hear a little bit later in the programme from some of our regular panellists from within UBS who are going to delve in a bit more detail into the investment picture and some of the detail of the, the economics, what we can expect in terms of fiscal policy. But just in broad terms, and to pick up on this point about the shifting political landscape, is it the ascent of the Greens or is it just the increasing focus, 
the emphasis on sustainability themes, on the climate change challenge, that means that those are so front and central. And I wonder where, when it comes down to what the actual policy decisions look like, will we see those things being front and centre in terms of where investment is directed or where the government wants to see growth most? Will it be in those areas of, you know, digitalisation or things that look to tackle climate change head on? And to an extent, do we have to wait and see what the government that emerges from this looks like before we'll actually know what those policy directions are going to be? Well, not necessarily, because I think one of the interesting things over the past few years is that because climate change has become one of the issues of our time, and particularly in Germany as well, at this point, you're really seeing all parties talk about it. Every party now has a platform that confronts digitalization, that confronts sustainability and, and uh, you know, a greener economy, encourages businesses, incentivizes businesses in Germany to shift to a more greener way of operating. This is really something that's incorporated in every agenda. So in that sense, you could almost say that what the Greens have brought is a focus on climate change. And it's also, to put it in political terms, it's kind of like every other party has realized that the Greens are in ascendance because, well, green is in their name and this is their competence. And they've caught up, essentially. You know, they've they've changed their own agenda to reflect that. So politically, what's interesting is it's almost like the Greens now have to say, hey, we were here first. We know what we're doing on this issue, so trust us to actually implement it. In terms of the policies, there just actually aren't that many differences. A little bit of a focus here and there on, say, how do you incentivize businesses? Do you tax more in order to to encourage businesses and also the public to go greener? You know, the, the Greens would be, of course, more aggressive on that kind of front than other parties. Others focus more on, say, market elements. The the Free Democrats have focused, for example, a lot more on, say, cap and trade and, and things like that in order to incentivize businesses. So it's really about how do you get business and consumers to change. But everyone agrees that there are going to be big changes that are necessary. And one way to highlight that that's quite interesting is you've also seen that the Greens this time around as well, compared to the past are actually quite close to the business community Mm. in Germany. They've had good contacts. You have the business community voicing the same issues that they voice. And so you don't have this standoffishness that you used to have between the Greens and business where it was seen as, you know, the Greens are this leftist radical party, if you will, that are against German business. We're not seeing that anymore really because of both. The Greens have moderated a little bit. They've become more centrist in their tone and in their style. And the business community is recognising the green writing on the wall, if you will. Chris Chermack. Well, let's hear next, as promised, from one of the co-authors of the UBS CIO series on the German elections. Maximilian Kunkel is ultra-high net worth investment strategist in UBS Wealth Management in Zurich. Max Kunkel, thanks for being with us once again. I'd like to start by asking, well, I I guess it's the key question in most any general election, wherever you are in the world, who might be forming the next government after September 26th? So we're still seeing that opinion polls are moving quite a bit. But effectively, what we come out with are two things. First, that the CDU sees you is likely going to be the party with the majority of the votes, given we're seeing relatively positive momentum on the reopening side, as well as on the vaccination front. And we also believe that the Greens will come out very strong. 
And that's largely due to, on the one hand, them having very carefully over the last few years moved towards the center. And at the same time, the vast majority of the German population considers changes in climate-related policy a key element to address by the new government. And that, in turn, of course, favors the Greens. Now, we've seen in terms of recent polls that that likelihood, that which is our base case of black-green coalition, might uh, come down somewhat, and they might have to look at uh, working together with another party. Probably the the likelihood here of uh, Greens, CDU, CSU, working with the FDP is the highest. There are some concerns that we still have, which is the FDP and the Greens have an almost diametrically opposed view on fiscal policy amendments to the debt break and stance towards the EU. But ultimately, as we've seen in the past, Compromise is always a key feature of any coalition formation process, and we do think that um, the next most likely outcome after Black-Green would be a so-called Jamaica coalition uh, led by the CDU-CSU together with the Greens and the FDP. Yeah, well, we'll come back to fiscal policy and Europe in just a moment. But as one very brief aside, Max, what about the floods? Devastating. You know, these astonishing scenes we've seen on on the news, well, all around the world. Hugely, uh, you know, urgent narrative within Germany. Do you think that might... I don't know. Could that could that shape the elections? Because thinking back historically, if we go back a couple of decades, was it in 2002? Again, we had, you know, there was a, a, a crisis of a similar character, which I think did kind of make a difference. It did, exactly. So at the time, in 2002, the incumbent SPD Chancellor Gerd Schröder turned the tide of the campaign at the last minute, and that was in part by portraying himself as a crisis manager during the floods that hit the country. But we wouldn't really expect a similar development this time around. And quite simply, when you're looking at the most recent polls that already capture the impact of the disaster, they do not really show a big shift in voter preferences at the party level. And probably an explanation for this could lie in the fact that pretty much all parties, and not just the Greens, have a very strong focus on climate-related policies. What we have seen, however, is that the candidate's popularity has been affected by the flooding and the candidate's reaction to it. So Laschet, for example, CDU-CSU leader, losing in terms of uh, popularity, whilst others such as the SPD candidate Scholz has, has improved. But we do not think that that changes in popularity of the candidates would lead to a huge impact on overall polls. Let's look at fiscal policy next, Max. You did mention it just in in passing. What are the key implications in fiscal policy terms of the general election? You know, as we recover from the pandemic, it's quite likely that the degree of fiscal policy support is going to shrink in Germany. A lot of that is cyclical. You get fewer people that require government support. You get a bounce back in the labor market. And of course, tax receipts would also recover. But I think the big story for everybody to look at is beyond the pandemic, is the next government going to look for greater investment that could boost the recovery? And is the new government going to, what kind of timing is the new government looking at when we're talking about balancing the books by returning to the national fiscal rule, the so-called debt break? Just as a background, the debt break fiscal rule in Germany requires the structural deficit at the federal level to not exceed 0.35% of GDP. 
So on a state level, the 16 federal states must have a balanced budget. And, and just to give you an example, that means that the debt break um, at this stage would require a fiscal deficit to be 33 billion euros this year, as opposed to roughly 200 billion euros, which we're likely going to get. We think that the debt break, whoever's going to win, is not going to be reinforced before 2023. But when you're looking at the manifestos of the different parties, they have very different opinions of what should be happening with the uh, debt break more structurally. So the Greens, for example, want to uh, reform it all together and make Germany, therefore, also become more flexible when it comes to investments in particular, whilst others such as the Union or the FTP want to reinstate it as quickly as possible. We think that ultimately, if you go back to that base case of black-green coalition, we would see a compromise where you see on the one hand a focus on balancing the budget, but, and this is an important but, with investments outside of the debt break rules, uh, focusing on projects that help drive the green transformation in particular. And that could, for example, be achieved by using off-budget special purpose vehicles. Laschet, for example, had previously also floated the idea of a Germany fund focusing on these investments. Now, I, I often find it interesting that almost wherever we look, certainly in, in Western European elections, the relationship of that nation state with the EU, with the wider bloc, is often as compelling as the domestic political picture. If we do shift our sights outward a little, Max, what about the implications for Europe of this of this vote? Obviously, you know, the baton passing from Merkel, who's been such a steady figure, not just on the German stage, but on the European and international stage for such a long time, over a decade and a half, is, is one interesting, interesting factor. What are the key questions, do you think, when it comes to the, the European scene? Yeah, I think it ultimately boils down to the very, very big longer term question, which goes beyond Germany's borders, which is, OK, what are the paths ahead for the Eurozone to survive and thrive longer term? Part number one is you have greater acceptance of fiscal union uh, by those countries, and that's uh, including Germany, who will be the net creditors to the system. And there, what you're clearly seeing is that, for example, the Greens are very much in favor of, of that. And then um, the alternative path is you have a staunch resistance to any further fiscal flexibility at an EU level, which you know ultimately is going to mean that the euro area will have fewer members in the future, quite simply because the cost of remaining for some will, will be will be too high. Now, of course, that's not a consideration for this current economic cycle, but it's definitely something that is going to linger in the background and that we have to be aware of. And, and we think that there's likely going to be, as at a domestic level, going to be a compromise again. And it's not just going to be uh, due to what's happening in the German elections, but in fact also what's happening uh, next year in France with the elections, as well as in Italy in 2023. So ultimately, we would think that with black-green, we probably get more support at an EU-wide level, bigger focus also on, on investment, but it will also heavily depend on what's happening in France and Italy over the next two years at a political level. One thing that I guess has changed quite dramatically in the last, you know, two years is the level of deficits. And again, this is a question which we see all around the world. And I guess Germany's no no different, Max. What are people discussing when it comes to 
how this all gets paid for because I know that personal taxation is a is always a bit a big issue. It's a perennial one that crops up at elections, and again we see some intriguing divergence, don't we, in terms of what different parties are proposing in their in their manifestos. What's your take on where where taxes are heading? So I think just to start off with, and this is not just for Germany, taxes measured as a share of GDP will rise in the coming years. That's, of course, on the one hand, to pay for the deficits built up during the pandemic that you mentioned, um, but it's also to fund the needs of an aging society and the adaptation of the workforce to to the fourth industrial revolution. Now, when we're looking at what the parties are saying they want to do, we get a key message from the centre-right party, so CDU, CSU and FDP, that the tax burden, if possible, should not be increased but in fact, actually reduced. That's especially when we're thinking about the FTP somewhat at odds with the FPD's firm stance of reintroducing the debt break as quickly as possible. But just leave that aside for a second. You have, on the other hand, the, the Greens that clearly say, look, there's no broad leeway for tax cuts. They try and offer relief for people with lower middle incomes, but at the same time, the plan to increase free allowance for, for income taxes and clearly see a need for an increase of the top marginal tax rates in, in Germany. I think that there's going to be a lot of focus on, on income taxes, but ultimately, from a market's perspective, and also for many entrepreneurs, the key point is going to be about what's happening with regards to wealth taxes. Generally, we think that wealth taxes can act as a disincentive for entrepreneurs and investors to locate businesses and personal investments in Germany. And what we see here is that the SPD and the Greens are advocating a wealth tax of around 1% of assets above 2 million euros. The link is on the far left is uh, going for something more extreme. And we just have to think about the background here and see whether or not this is likely to be implemented. We did have a wealth tax up until 1997, and the German Constitutional Court at the time uh, declared that the calculation of it was unconstitutional because real estate was priced differently or valued differently compared to other assets. So real estate was valued at 1964 levels, whilst other movable assets were considered the current market value. Unless the new coalition was to invest very significantly into updating real estate valuations for the purpose of that wealth tax. And there's some estimates out there that you might need 5,000 to 10,000 new civil servants for that task alone. Uh, you're probably going to face similar hurdles. And the involvement of the CDU, CSU and or the FDP, which we think is quite likely, would further increase the resistance to the introduction of a wealth tax. So whilst there's a big focus, especially amongst German investors and, and entrepreneurs on this, it might not be that likely to be introduced in the near term. Uh, now, Max, perhaps the final thing I wanted to ask you about, you, know, you said right at the top about, you know, the shift in the Greens, you know, they've moved politically towards the centre. They're kind of very much at the heart of this discussion. We think they're going to be at the heart of whatever the political outcome looks like after September 26th. But what about their founding issue, if you like? It's interesting that as they, as a political movement, have moved to the centre, so too climate change, which was at the core of their sort of existence initially, 
that has been completely mainstreamed, hasn't it, politically now? Um, and it's no longer a question of, of left or right. It's the profound question we all have to answer. Does that mean that the way climate change is addressed by the government, whatever its political stripes, will be very different this time around? And And as a corollary point... What will a focus on or aggressive moves to deal with climate change mean? You know, could that spook markets? You know, we always talk about Germany being very steady and politically stable. But if that's addressed in a, in a, in a more aggressive way, could that be different? I think you're spot on. And, and it's largely to do with the broader population caring so much more about climate change. And uh, as such, all parties um, do care more about climate change. And when you're looking at the manifestos, for example, all of them have very ambitious climate goals, trying to reduce CO2 emissions by between 65 and 70 percent by 2030 relative to 1990. They do have a different approach, though. So CDU, CSU and the FPDP would rather favor price incentives through CO2 emissions trading schemes and, and research into carbon mitigating technologies. The Greens, on the other hand, would look for a faster rise in CO2 prices, stronger interventions. I think ultimately what you get to, and this is important from an investor's perspective, is the climate-related goals that any of the parties would set are highly ambitious and cannot just be achieved through regulation. They have to get more investment into climate-related innovations. And that in turn also uh, marks a significant opportunity for investors that can invest into uh, areas that develop these innovations. So we think that all in all, with that bigger regulatory, political and fiscal focus on making Germany smarter and greener and potentially more digital as a side note, uh, you get a bigger adoption of what we deem appealing investment opportunities in sustainable investing, both from an institutional perspective, but also from private investors. Maximilian Kunkel. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle 24. You can listen again and find out more at monocle.com or catch up via your preferred podcast platform. The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle 24.